Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network and Mean Old Line Media presents The History of Being Black. Welcome to The History of Being Black. I am your host, Eunice Elliott. You know what we do here on The History of Being Black podcast is we talk to Black folks about Black folks in America. And I'm always really excited when I'm able to be joined by friends of mine, uh, somebody who has been really, really, really blessed. If you know our gang here, whether they're professors or attorneys or doctors, we have a lot of really smart folks to talk to us. But I'm really excited about today's conversation and today's guest because it's an industry that I know very little about. So I'm excited about us learning more from David A. Northern Sr. He is the president and CEO of the Housing Authority of Birmingham and uh, the new president of FADA, which I have this written out, Public Housing Authority Directors Association. Welcome to the history of being Black, David. Well, thank you. Thank you. You did that well not to have a whole lot of uh, knowledge about housing. (laughs) Well, you know, the thing is you just took the job in Birmingham, but you have been in the housing industry for over 25 years. So for someone like me, when I think of housing, my thought process is usually, okay, someone's looking to buy a house, somebody's looking to sell a house or something like that. So what is it that you do in the housing authorities for um, Birmingham, but also some cities? Tell me about the cities you were before you just joined Birmingham. Well, when you say 25 years in housing, it's kind of crazy because uh, I started in college as a uh, housing manager in the dorms, in a sense, as an RA uh, once I got done with sports. Um, but, you know, my first job out of college was in East Chicago, Indiana, and we were housing community redevelopment. And so first, I'll tell you a little bit about housing for people that may not understand what we do uh, as a housing authority. Uh, we're funded by the federal government. So all housing authorities are funded from the Department of Housing and Urban Development in Washington, D.C., but we are locally situated in terms of we have certain jurisdictions. There's about 4,500 housing authorities across the nation. And as you mentioned earlier, I just became uh, our president of FADA, and we oversee or have a, a, a group of close to 2,000 plus housing authorities throughout the nation that we uh, focus on and work with um, for housing policy and direction, you know, goals you know, for our local communities. Um, but housing is something that, you know, public housing, Section 8 is, you know, that one of those terms that people uh, look at is kind of like that, uh, you know, um, uh, term that's synonymous with uh, public housing or poverty and things like that. But it's called the Housing Choice Voucher Program because with that you get you have a tenant-based voucher and an individual can make a choice about where they want to live. In public housing, there's units that we own and operate as a housing authority, just like any other landlord. But we deal with lower-income individuals, um, some of the communities most vulnerable. And so, you know, this has been a you know a great career and. Uh, so East Chicago is my first stop. I spent about five or so years there. What was unique about that is that 
Not only did we have under our organization housing, we had community redevelopment. So all the money that was coming into the city related to the Department of Housing and Urban Development, uh, we operated it. So we was better able to utilize the funds in the best way possible. I left there and went to Lake County, Illinois, which was, you know, a kind of rich area, which is unique about that spot was that I was pretty young when that happened. Wow. Like 29, I think I was. Uh, and so I became the you know deputy director, the vice president of the organization, you know, a community I wasn't accustomed to being in. Actually, I became the first African-American uh, CEO of that housing authority in 2008. So, no, I went there. Yeah, I was 29 when I went. Wow, that's crazy. Long time you just, ago. You're just not realizing how old you are on today's podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a podcast. You can't see my gray beard, but I'm Santa Claus like today. <laughs> so, yeah. I just realized how old it was when I looked back that, you know, I have a daughter graduating was 18 and I started that job when she was born, right before she was born. Um, so that was a unique spot because I went from a city housing authority to a county housing authority. It was only 2% African-Americans in a county I represented, one of our richest areas uh, uh, in Illinois. Uh, and I, actually, that's where Jordan, Oprah, you know, a lot of the Bulls and Bears players, they had homes out there. That's where they made their uh, uh, home once they finished playing sports. They had traveled down to Chicago. So, yeah, it was funny. People wouldn't realize that you had uh, affordable housing in those communities like that um, from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. And when you wouldn't think that, are they like different than what we traditionally see in lower income areas as far as the actual units? Actually, they are. Like uh, so when people, they, they, were, they were quite nicer. So that community, we had two uh, cities that was part of the urban core that we operated. Other than that, it was straight suburban. We had a number of single family homes that looked like any other. Some of the, our homes, single family homes that was in the upper echelon communities in Lake County, Illinois, uh, in Deerfield and Barrington and places like that was better than the houses. Our properties was better than some of the other houses on the block. And so that was, you know, really different from where I came from, Gary, Indiana, uh, East Chicago, Indiana, seeing traditional barrack style type public housing, everybody living right next door to each other to go into communities where it's the, some of the best schools in the whole state um, and, and housing individuals living next door. There's house next door to you, uh, a single family homeowner, uh, you know, a house appraising at 300 some thousand dollars. Then our uh, affordable housing unit sitting next there where a person could be there. With paying fifty dollars rent, zero income. Wow. So now, when you have been to these different cities and you've seen different communities, what are some common misconceptions that when people like me who aren't in the industry, or just people who are—I shouldn't say like me—I should say white people—but <laughs> no, some people uh, have this preconceived notion about when they hear about someone living in public housing or in Section Eight. So, what is the most common misconception about uh, residents in these homes? Well, a couple of things. One, it's a podcast, so I can't tell what color you are. I can probably assume and guess, but I happen to know you, so I know <laughs> what color you are. So you can't make assumptions. And uh, secondly, uh, East Chicago, Lake County, Illinois, uh, I did work for house, for Department of Housing and Urban Development back in Gary, which is my hometown. I worked in Philadelphia, Champaign, Illinois. Now I'm in uh, Birmingham. So I bounced around a number of housing authorities, whether I was a fixer helping Department of Housing and Urban Development or working directly with that housing authority. Now, I can tell you one thing, each situation in each community was different. Uh, you gotta look at the different politics. Lake County was a Lake uh, Republican uh, ran community, like Birmingham is more so a Democratic uh, ran community. Uh, East Chicago was a Democratic ran, Campaign County was moderate. Philadelphia was straight Democrat, right? So you, as you bounce around urban core, suburban, you know, uh, kind of rural type areas in, uh, in, in Champaign County, Illinois, so we bounce around. But one common misconception is that uh, it's all uh, 
uh, well, a majority of it is black people. <laughs> That's not the truth. Right. If you look at the That's population the overall of the United States. Yeah. 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 That's it's not, not the right. case. And so when. That's not true. And so when you develop, whenever we try to develop new affordable housing, and I won't say public housing because that's gone now. We're moving away from that. We develop affordable housing. The first thing people think in some of those uh, more affluent communities is that, uh, you know, we're bringing a bunch of black people. For example, I use Lake County. We did developments in Lake County and people, oh, you bring everybody from Cabrini Green in Chicago. Well, bring, bring, been gone. So we're not doing that. That's, that's, and that's have, what JJ did. <laughs> the exactly. Evans yeah. Yeah. Dynamite, right? <laughs> Right. So, uh, you know, that, that that's something that's a misconception. Also, is that people really don't work and it's a bunch of uh, poor people. Uh, you know, I mean, the you know, you talk about workforce housing, you talk about the working class. And one of the things that you really have to uh, articulate to, um, you know, various, various elected officials or citizens um, in, in certain communities is that who do you think serving your food at Chipotle or at Papa Do's or at, you know, some of these more upscale places? Where do you think your teachers work or your custodians that's at the school? Where do you think they live in? Would you more, uh, I would rather have somebody living in, living and working in my community that's vested and care about it. They're just coming there, taking the uh, money out and going paying taxes and stuff somewhere else. And so um, when you have that thought process um, and you, and you deal with, you know, uh, Nibby, uh, not in my backyard or, or people fighting against affordable housing, uh, whether it's racism, whether it's people that don't look like them, or whether it's just that um, they just don't care. I mean, we have people fighting against us developing senior housing in their community. You know, so, um, you know, it's, it, they like, oh, the traffic, they're going to increase traffic. It's going to impact the schools. Like, how? there's no more seniors going to high school, right? So <laughs> when I say senior, I don't mean senior in high school. I mean senior 65 and up, right? Senior no, seniors. So senior citizens. Yeah. So, you know, it's a... Uh, it's funny some of the things that we deal with, but uh, there's a number of misconceptions. You know, uh, you know, you have the average income in public housing, traditional public housing, and that's again where the housing authority owns and operates the property as a landlord. It's close to twelve thousand dollars a year, right? Some of the when well, I left Lake County, I mean, sorry, when I left um, Champaign, our uh, average income was eighteen point five, right? Uh, and that's because we were a move to work organization, and so we have programs that help people move along the spectrum self-sufficiency so they can get off and we can lessen the dependency uh, on a tax dollar. So let me ask you, because that question was about misconception. And, and I think the number one misconception when people do talk about public housing, even in you said you're getting away from the term public housing and moving to affordable housing. What's the point of that? Is that to change the mindset of the housing? Well, I mean, like messaging is important. The true meaning of it is not public housing. It's affordable housing because you still got to qualify for it. You still have a rent to pay, depending on an uh, organization that you may be uh, overseeing. And we got to have a business mindset. There's no more of that. Let's just sit back and, you know, not care. Like, for example, even here in Birmingham, you know, uh, we use the word clients versus residents because it, we're serving them just like any other business. You know, we can continually act as if we're a government organization, which we're not. We're not a government organization. We're quasi-governmental, meaning that we're funded by the government, but we act uh, in, in a certain jurisdiction, but we're not government. We don't have government pensions and things like that. And so, I think uh, I thought uh, you were government. I, I, I didn't know you weren't part of the government, I think. And see, that's, see a lot of yeah. people don't understand that. And then some people think that we're funded locally. We're not. We're, we're funded by the federal government. We get no money in terms of continued funding from the local government unless we apply for a grant or it's a partnership with the city to do something. Other than that, our 
our continued operating budget funding come from the federal government. And each each state has an agreement that they sign or they pass a, or a public housing act that allow the government, federal government to send money down to local jurisdictions within a state. For example, uh, Alabama itself have over 100 housing authorities. And so when you say housing authorities, that means when we talk about, like, do we use the term projects anymore? I remember when I was a kid, we lived in the uh, projects, no, but no, I don't no, know. No, 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 Politically correct. Don't use projects no more. Communities. Okay. Okay. Community. Okay. So, so that, that even, <laughs> that even, that even, no, no. I, you know, I mean, this is about education, right? Also, so. Right. Exactly. So we don't say somebody lives in the projects. Nope. Nope. Thank and see, you. when you say projects, you know where that came from? No, I don't. That if you develop something, it's a project. If you develop a new Papa Do's, you're developing a project. It happened to be a, a restaurant that's Papa Do's, it's a project. And so when people, instead of people realizing that it was just a community called John Doe or Jane Doe community, they say, oh, it's a project. Because each housing authority, when they develop property, they got a project number. Project, you know, like Alabama, AL. Zero 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 dash zero zero one project the first project right so that's how it was listed so everybody started calling it the generic term project no none of us knew that so thank you for that (laughs) so when we talk about misconceptions tell me about some of the actual challenges you do face when you're working in housing and you're working with people who just may need a break or you know I think. Uh, a lot of the people that do live there not not necessarily saying they're black, but they may be disenfranchised in some way in this country. So what are yeah. some of the challenges you face in housing and specifically uh, in lower income areas in, with the housing well, authority? I mean, we, we face it, I think it varies um, based on the community. But, you know, some of that I, I've been exposed to and experienced with was, was uh, one having my uh, team, the staff that we uh, employ to uh manage, operate, and maintain decent, safe, and sanitary housing or deal with our clients, having them understand that we're here to deal. The only reason we're here is for them, right? We get paid to deal with challenging people. So you're dealing with people that's poor, disenfranchised, that's senior, that's disabled, that may not have those means uh, like we may have. And so they may come in your office disappointed, hurt, upset, not being able to afford to make copies or couldn't get uh, have a ride to go down to Social Security to get the paperwork that you needed to process um, their application, and when, when when they get upset or act out, they may have a they may be a piece person with a disability, and it may be a you know a, a mental disability or something like that. We don't know, and so we really have to uh, understand that we're here to serve uh, some of the community's most vulnerable, and so we have to treat them like that. That we're serving the most vulnerable, but at the end of the day, we're getting paid to do this, right? And so, and uh, you know, another thing. Uh, that we deal with when we deal with, uh, you know, um, sometimes the poor people, they get sometimes I think uh, I like to see mixed income communities because, you know, you learn what to do. You learn what not to do for people. But if, if everybody is like you, it's hard to learn something outside of um, the box. And that means not not saying race, but also I'm talking about income wise, education wise. Right. Whether they're working or not, whether they're disabled or not. Right. So I think it, it, it lends the opportunity to have mixed income type communities so people can learn uh, and grow. And I always, you know, I've always taught people to learn what to do and what not to do. If you don't like what I'm doing, don't do it. Right. So if you don't like I'm working, I sit on my porch all day and drink or whatever, then you probably should go to school and go to work and do something different. And if you seeing Miss Jones across the street going to work every morning and cutting up grass and picking up the litter that she didn't drop that somebody else dropped down the street and blew on her yard, but she's still going to pick it up. You know, you say, oh, so people, you know, taking pride, you know, caring. It gets challenging. Sometimes we got generations of people that's living in our communities and have no hope sometimes. 
Right. Well, I was going to say, what is, I know you mentioned that one of the other housing authorities you had a, what did you say, move to work program? But, you know, that's the issue when people are homeowners and then they don't want apartments, you know, regardless of the rents, because they feel like because people aren't buying or aren't owning, they don't um, have a buy-in into the equity or of the community. And so is that a challenge you find uh, with people who may be in lower income housing? And then also, what are some of the things that you're looking to do in your new position in Birmingham as far as, you know, taking people who are in affordable housing to the next step? Well, I as a, as, as a long-time homeowner and a person that's renting right now, you know, I don't believe everybody should be a homeowner. I think you should have diversity okay, within your. Uh, well, I mean, some Why people do don't that? like to cut grass. Some people don't like to cut grass. <laughs> don't want to cut grass. Don't care about it. Don't have the time to do it. Don't have the patience for it. Don't have the physical ability to do it. Right. And so you mm-hmm. just like we need diverse uh, communities, diverse uh, workplaces. We need diverse housing stock to meet the needs of the population that that's in that various community. So I don't believe everybody should be homeowners. Right now, I don't want to be a homeowner. You know, my kids going to college. I'm single. So why do I need three, four bedrooms and grass to cut every weekend? Well, I mean, but even beyond that, I'm saying beyond the yard work, I think you've made it clear you don't want to do any landscaping. But I mean, is there a difference in the equity as far as the community? Do you feel people buy into more like, you know, you mentioned picking up the trash, even though you're not the one that dropped it. Is that one of the challenges when you are managing uh, uh, affordable housing with the housing authority? Things like that. If There isn't a feeling of buy in because of the income. Yeah, I think that's a challenge. Also, uh, I don't th- I don't know if it's an income thing. I think it's more of I didn't do it. So why I got to be responsible for it type thing. And sometimes even even homeowners don't do that. You know, I, I do that. You know, I, I'm the type that I drive through the community and pull over and tell my son, hey, get out and grab them cups or bottles or whatever somebody dropped out there. Everybody's not like that. I choose to do that. Right. And so um, but that's about uh, education and learning that, you know, even even with our staff at times, you know, sometimes we have staff members and team members that care about their job and what they do. But they get so disenfranchised kind of with the people that we serve. And they like, well, you know, they graffiti the walls. So I'm, I'm not painting it no more. I'm tired of this. And so then right. then they start littering. I'm not picking up the litter from them. Well, you're getting paid to do this. And regardless of what whoever do, you're getting paid to fix it. So just fix it. And then even, you you know, you come to our office, like the management office. It's supposed to be neat, clean. Our weed should be poured. It shouldn't be litter. Because we expect you to clean up. If you if you if if you live in one of our properties, we expect you to do this. But you come to our office and we're not doing it, right? So it's about being accountable. Uh, and so yeah, that that that's a challenge when you're dealing with uh, 500 unit uh, properties sometimes. Right. You know? And 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 when you have people that can come in, that's not even a lot of the issues that we have in our various communities aren't even people that live in our community. It's it's the homeowner, somebody's son that come over there that want to act out because. His mother's not there. There's a lot of people there. Um, he don't have to be responsible for it. But he'll go home and be nice. I remember, you remember uh, Eminem, the uh, uh-huh. eight mile Papa Doc, uh-huh. when he was like, "Yeah, uh, everybody from the two one five, whatever it was, put your hand up." And he was like, "Papa Doc, you ain't put your hand up." So Papa Doc was from the suburbs, but he came over to Eight Mile and wanted to be a gangster and tear up and fight and stuff. But then he went back to his good home with two parents, and you know what I'm saying. So that's what happens a lot. You know, you come out there and try to act like you're somebody different, and that causes a lot of problems in our communities. 
So what give you what gave you a heart? You said, you know, as a, a RA in college working in the dorm, what gave you the heart to be in this type of industry? Because like I said, I think it's such a niche, such a niche industry that most people aren't thinking about affordable housing to then go from several different housing authorities. Like, is it anything from your upbringing or your childhood or that made you you think gave you a heart for this industry and why you love it so much? Well, again, I mentioned I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Uh, it was really challenging. Uh, it was the murder capital during uh, most of my time. And, uh, we, we were, you know, meager, uh, meager means. Uh, my mom was young when she had me. Uh, she was only 17, but she went on to graduate from college and do pretty well. But my biological dad spent a lot of time in and out of jail most of my life and we really haven't developed a full relationship. And so, um, some of the, you know, decisions that was not the most popular decision that I made in, in coming up um, when I went to college, I said, you know what, I'm going to do better. I'm going to be a person that uh, take take the same leadership skills that my dad may have used to mess up or do wrong, end up in jail, but to lead our community, to be an example of good versus being bad. My first career path was being an FBI agent. And I end up, uh, after I said I wasn't going to play sports, I changed my major from criminal justice to accounting because the, I was working with the FBI in terms of um, agents recruitment type stuff. So they said, well, we hire more accountants than criminal justice majors. I was like, well, I want to get the job, so I'm going to change my major. End up, you know, that finance background ended up allowing me to be successful uh, at a high level um, in housing as a CEO. And so I think the passion of me seeing the murder capital, I mean, I'm, when I mean murder capital, all I mean is a whole lot of murders. I mean, triple homicides every other week. Of people you know, like funerals all the time, like seeing dead bodies, people getting murdered at school type stuff. And I wanted to be different from that. Just like I was raised by my grandmother primarily. Uh, and that's why I chose to make sure, uh, you know, early on I got a divorce, stuff didn't work out. I fought for custody and was a single dad. So I wanted to make sure that as a man, I was going to be a part of my kid's life. As a man, I was going to be a leader in my community. And as a person and a professional, I was going to do something to better the communities that I serve in. You're now in a new community and also the new president of FADA. So that puts you in a leadership role. And to when I think of, of you and what you're talking about, you have new ideas of how things should be. What are some of the things that, that are new that you're bringing specifically to your new housing authority? But what are some ideas that you feel like would change uh, the housing industry, the affordable housing industry nationwide? So, so I think that, well, I don't think this. I feel that, uh, you know, I'm truly blessed and, and I talked about working hard and having mentors and all this, but it's nothing but, you know, by the grace of God and, you know, allowing me to overcome my obstacles. And so during that process, I've had a lot of experiences and, you know, what I found and what I want to bring one as a housing professional, I come in, uh, I can say, Hey, this is what people need in housing because I've been working in 25 plus years, but my goal is to listen. Uh, and partner with stakeholders, community leaders, clients that we're serving, uh, current staff, and develop the right plan. So we're in the process of looking at a not only a strategic plan, but a business plan so we can move into the future as a united force and a community to build this organization. Two, we have an aged housing stock. You know, we have a number of communities with a number of environmental issues, you know, 60-year-old properties that's, you know, in, in a disarray. Uh, as I mentioned before, business plan because the government traditionally didn't fully fund uh, housing authorities' uh, capital budget, so we have a big backlog of repairs. And at this point now, it's, it's, it's a beyond repair. It's time to tear stuff down and rebuild. Um, so repositioning our properties, and we just put out a major RFQ um, to, to, to solicit 
development partners uh, to work with us to do that. And so it's like that we're open for business, you know, type sense, uh, but also build a solid uh, team and a workforce to understand that we are a business for one and that we have clients we serve and we get paid to deal with challenging people. Right. And so I believe that uh, I have a large task, but I look at it as an opportunity. I think we're going to do some uh, great things together as a community. Um, some of the things that we may have done that may not have been all the way uh, right in the past, uh, we're going to work to, to, to make it better. But I am that type of leader that's, you know, um, I'm outside the box. I'm aggressive. Uh, you know, I'm willing to try something new. If it don't work, you know, it's, I call it going public. All right. It's a term I learned in my uh, coursework at Harvard. You go public and it give you a little pressure. And so you got to report back to the community. Well, what happened? You went public. You said you was going to do it. Did you do it? Yeah. What was the outcome? And so it puts the pressure on you as an organization and, and as a leader, but it it brings transparency and messaging and let people know what you're doing. And so I just want to change the mindset of uh, of the organization and change the mindset of people, how they look at our organization as a whole. I think you've started that with the conversation today. Uh, like I said, I don't think a lot of people think about it, you know, Uh uh, it's a community you drive through or drive to to see somebody you love or like me grew up in a community, a community, <laughs> since I don't say other words Wait, now. You, so you grew uh, up in a uh, project? I'm not just messing with you. I did. <laughs> in a community, as you say. <laughs> uh, so one of the things we like to do here, we like to encourage our listeners to know that they are a part of the community and can be the change they want to see in our communities. And so when we're talking about different things that disproportionately affect Black people, sometimes negatively or overwhelmingly of more concern to black folks. We like to have the folks that get to spend time with us. Give us some ideas. Like if we stop listening to this podcast today, we can go out and do what? So do you have an idea something you can share with our listeners that would be hashtag be the change? Well, uh, one thing is be engaged with what happens in the communities that you live in and your tax dollars go to serve. Uh, come to the board meetings, participate in, in public hearings and things like that. Not just with the housing authority, but with your school board, with your cities. Uh, I, I was a school board, I elected a school board official. I felt like just because I was running the housing authority, why not be on the school board? My kids go to school. Maybe I can build a correlation uh, partnership with the housing authority and schools to help deal with the kids that's, you know, on my program, right? In a, in a better way. And so there's a lot of things that we can do by just being educated. As you mentioned, you didn't know a lot about affordable housing, but you, you've been working for how long? Working where? In life? In life. Probably yeah. about 30 years. Yeah. And so 30 years of some of your tax dollars have went to fund affordable housing or public housing authority throughout this nation. This is federal. It's the federal dollars that get distributed, but you don't know where that money's going. And so anything I want to put my money into, I want to love something about it. Okay. I kind of feel like I feel attacked. Okay. <laughs> I don't know where all my tax dollars go. <laughs> no, I know they take the yeah, dollars. Yeah. And then I don't see them until potentially once a year when they give it back to me for a few minutes. Uh, so that's to be the change, you know, get engaged in your community, attend board meetings, get involved beyond whether it's just on your street or your block or if it just affects the kids in your neighborhood. But that's also a starting place. But there's always a and platform vote. for people who and vote. It's number one and vote. That's a big deal. In small elections, large elections, all elections are important. Local elections more all so right. people don't realize how important those local elections are. All right. David A. Northern Senior, new president, CEO of the Housing Authority of Birmingham District. It's got all these different letters associated with your name, but yeah. thank you so much for joining us on the History of Being Black. Hopefully you'll come back and visit us again soon as you uh, continue your tenure as president of FADA and also all the new things you'll be doing in Birmingham. Uh, and thank you all again for listening to the latest episode of the History of Being Black. Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and share. And we'll see you guys next time. 
The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion and say it loud network production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.